So I thought we may just start with this question, why in the world does a church have a birthday party? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. You're like, you know, I've never really been to a church's birthday party before. Sometimes they have anniversaries. Sometimes they celebrate kind of like 10 years or 50 years. But why does this church have a birthday party? And here's the reason why. Because I think every church should have a birthday party. Um, I said party like really weird three times in a row, didn't I? Party. Six years ago, an organization did not begin. Not even a nonprofit organization, though, yes, a nonprofit organization began. It was not just a startup in Silicon Valley like every other startup. Six years ago, friends, a movement was birthed a movement of God. You see, a new expression of the supernatural community of God called the church was birthed. And six years ago, in this place, God birthed a movement, a community of people, a new family, a new tribe that would say, we're going to get after reaching this generation together. And that's why we have a birthday party. Did you know that um, it was actually six years ago, On this very day, Awakening began. Our very first service took place and happened. And man, do I remember that day. Uh, It was wild. There was so much work. We we actually launched at night, for those of you who don't know. Yes, we started our first couple years were at night services. And we launched with a bunch, a bunch of college students. And people said that wouldn't work. (laughs) I think it has. Uh, But here's what I I just think was amazing is just we started just like brand new parents. And for brand new parents, you know that your first kid, you have absolutely no idea what you're doing. And you have no idea, you know, like um, how it's going to work out or if it's going to work out. And, And that's how we began this thing. We just started and simply all we did was we started with a dream. That's it. There's a community that gathered together, and we just had this dream. This dream that God would, would start a community, that would birth a community, that, that would awaken this generation to the wonders of God. A, a dream uh, where we would see this generation's gifts and passions unleashed, and, and this world actually be revolutionized by the gospel of Jesus Christ. A dream where people would walk in and experience the healing and wholeness and the life that is only found in Jesus. We began six years ago with a dream simply to make much of Jesus. This is our anthem. This is our driving passion. It's why we exist. We say it this way all the time. We exist to awaken this generation to new life. Jesus. See, we didn't, um, we didn't name our church Awakening because it's a cool name. In fact, our very first year, I remember I was like picking up one of the signs on the street uh, that, you know, directs where you're at, and some lady stopped, and she said, what is this? Kind of confrontationally. And I was like, oh, well, we're just a new church plant. We were actually planted from Westgate. She's like, oh, good. I thought you were some new agey thing here. And I've been praying against you for. (laughs) Well, stop! 
you don't have to anymore. You can pray for us, okay? But we didn't plant or call it Awakening because it's a cool name. You know why we called this church Awakening? Because that's our dream. That's our dream, is that when you walk in this space, you would experience an awakening to Jesus, an awakening to new life, experience this whole life that God has planned for you and me. And so, I don't know, the question that I'm wrestling with on this birthday is, have you ever wondered what God's dream is for your life? I mean, have you read, I know yet you started with some sort of dream for your life. Maybe your parents had a dream for your life. Maybe your coach had a dream for your life. It, maybe it seemed like everybody else had a dream for your life, and so you quit pushing your dream on my life. But, but have you ever actually wondered, what's God's dream for your life? If there is an all-good, all-wise all-knowing God who intimately cares about you, chances are his dream for your life is way better than your dream. And that, that is a much better question, especially students, young people, newly married, oldly married. <laughs> What's my dream for my marriage? What's God's dream for your marriage? What's my dream for my work? What's God's dream for my work? What's my dream for X, Y, and Z? What's God's dream? There's been one passage over the past six years that I keep going to that, that speaks to the dream that God has for you, for me, for this valley, for um, this nation, and for this world. It's one that I just can't get away from. And I believe in our time together that, that God actually wants to expand your vision. God wants to give you a vision for your life, a vision for your marriage, a vision for your work. He wants to give you a God-sized dream for what you're doing. And we find it in this obscure passage in the Old Testament written by a prophet Name Ezekiel. If you got your Bibles, if you would open them up to Ezekiel chapter 37. In chapter 37, we get uh, God's vision or dream for his people, for Israel. The context, if you've been traveling with us and you're in our safe series, Ezekiel is a contemporary of, of Daniel. He was one of those who was ripped out of his homeland of Jerusalem when they were under attack and besieged, he was exiled to Babylon. He was not one of the lucky ones to be in the Royal Academy of Babylon. He was there with the rest of them, but he was of a priestly lineage. And they're in exile in a land that's not their own, feeling as if God has left them, wondering if they have a future, wondering if there's any dreams to be had. And we hear God coming to Ezekiel, and I love this, in a dream, in a vision, and saying, no, 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 I have not left you, and let me tell you what my dream is for you. We pick it up, chapter 37, verse 1. Some of you know this passage famously as the valley of dry bones. 
says that the hand of the Lord was on me. If you've got your notes, circle that word hand. It's actually the word power as well. You can say the hand or the power of the Lord was on me, and he brought me or he placed me by, out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And so Ezekiel's having this vision. This isn't a, something that's really happening. He's having this moment or this vision that's, that's taking place, and God's wanting to paint a picture of what he's about and his dream for his people who have wandered away from him. And the first thing I just see right here is that God's hand was on Ezekiel and he placed him in the valley. And we're talking about your dream and my dream and God's dream for your life. And I just wonder what would happen. Follower of Jesus, if you embrace that God's hand is on you. Like, like God's dream for you is for you to realize that God's not against you, but his hand is on you. And he's placed you. You've been placed in the Silicon Valley for a purpose. You've been placed here for such a time as this. You have been placed here by God, and he wants to use you. God's hand was on Ezekiel, and his hand is on you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he says, he says I want to use you mightily right where I've placed you. It's not accidental or incidental goes on. It's verse 2. It says, he led me back and forth. What uh, was full, uh, sorry, where am I? There we go. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry, dry bones. I mean, just this is a weird picture, by the way. Let's just call it what it is. This is a strange dream. This is one of those dreams you wake up and go, what was that? That is odd. He's showing up, and the valley is filled with dry bones. And I just just got to say that perhaps for some, this will change the way you work. This will change the way you go to school. This will change the way you CrossFit, the way you soul cycle. This will, seriously, no. This will change your hangout times in the city. Because what God is giving Ezekiel is a perspective shift. See, I would argue that the Silicon Valley, we think about the Silicon Valley as the valley of opportunity, the valley of entrepreneurs, the valley of engineers, really. Uh, the valley, hello, engineers. Anybody, any, any engineers in here? I know, you're all introverted, right? Okay. <laughs> it was too easy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was just too easy. Last, yesterday at my kid's soccer game, I just think it's so funny. This guy walks up, and on his T-shirt, it just says engineer, period. <laughs> I'm like, so, um, engineer? Only an engineer would wear that, you know? <laughs> but, but this, oh, wow, I went off. <laughs> Valley, thank you. Silicon Valley. I, I would argue all the hustle all the drive and all the passion and all the pursuit and desire for success points to a deeper hunger and a longing that's yet been met. And this valley is actually a valley of dry bones and where you get this perspective shift that you're not just walking around normal human beings. This is, you're walking around people thirsty for the things of God and they're just trying to quench it in any other way possible. 
And they're looking at their jobs. They're looking at, you know what, hey, I'm a millennial, so I'm going to travel the world and do whatever I want to do. And by the way, that's just you trying to quench your deepest thirst. And Ezekiel gets this profound perspective shift. And then notice God asked Ezekiel a question. He asked, son of man, can these bones live? What a weird question. Think about this for a second. Imagine if we went for a walk and we go by a cemetery. And and on that walk, we're walking through and seeing the tombstones and the names and seeing all these, you know, lines and rows ahead of us. And I ask you, can these bones live? What are you going to say? Uh-uh. No way. You see, God asks Ezekiel a question that confronts his assumptions about reality. See, what we see is dead bones, dry bones. And God's saying, I want to challenge you to, to think about it differently. It's impossible. It's not going to work. It's a waste of time. Can these bones live is the question that some of you walked in with this morning. Can my marriage survive? Will this relationship last? Can these bones live? What about, what about the baggage of my past that I've, that I've just carried with me that just weighs me down? And yeah, I walked in here and I'm dry and I'm empty. Can these bones live? What about your future and your career? The anxiety that you've been living with, the depression that, that you've been hiding from everyone else. Your future. And God asks Ezekiel a question that challenges his very assumptions. These dry bones, the feelings of hopelessness, being just dead, a lost cause. Now notice Ezekiel's answer. This is so good. He says, Sovereign Lord, circle that. If you want to do a little work, a little Bible study work, you always look for repeated words. You'll notice that Ezekiel responds multiple times, sovereign, meaning you're in control, meaning you have the final say, not what I see. Sovereign Lord God. Notice, you alone know. You alone know. (laughs) Here's what Ezekiel's saying. It's too big for me, but it's not too big for you. I'm in the valley of dry bones of my marriage. I'm in the valley of dry bones at work. I'm in the valley of dry bones of depression. And it's too big for me. But it's not too big for you. Only you know. And the problem for us is our response is much the way I responded to my socks the other day. No, seriously, this is, this is I, when I looked back at it, I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever thought. You ever had one of those? Like, this is literally the dumbest thought you've ever thought. So I got done with a run, putting my clo- dirty clothes in the dirty hamper thing in our laundry, you, you know, uh, area. 
and I have my socks wadded up, and I'm a basketball player, so I wanted to shoot them in there. I shoot them. They bounce off, rim off the, uh, the hamper, bounce on the, uh, the washing machine, and then go behind the washing machine. <laughs> this is literally my first thought. I guess they're gone forever. <laughs> literally my first thought. I'm like, there's no way I'm ever pulling that washing machine out for a pair of socks. And sadly, sadly, that is our thought. I guess it's gone forever. I guess it's useless. I guess it'll never work. Instead of going, okay, it is too big for me. Let's just start there, friends. If you walked in with dry bones, it is too big for you. If you walked in hurt and wounded, it is too big for you. If you walked in in a place and, and that relationship is, no, it's not even on life support. It, it is just so tearing and the family's being torn apart. It is too big for you. And that we would begin to respond and just acknowledge it is too big for me. However, it is not too big for my God. Notice then, God asks, Ezekiel answers, and then God commands. Then he said to me, prophesy, preach, Ezekiel, preach it, brother, speak it. Now, by the way, just as a little side note for those of you who are going prophesy, I've never been in church, and what is a prophet, and what does a prof- that whole mean? Prophesy simply means a prophet had two things that they fundamentally did. They foretold the future as God told them, which is what we often think of a prophet, but the lion's share, 90% of what a prophet did is proclaim forth the word of God. That's it. They declared the word of God in a timely manner to the people for a calling to return them back to God. That's what a prophet did. And he says, prophesy, preach to these bones and say to them, dry bones, because that's how you got to say dry bones, by the way, (laughs) dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath and enter you and you will come to life. God commands Ezekiel to speak life to that which is dead. God commands Ezekiel. Now think about this. Talk about a dead crowd. He's preaching. I know. It's it's a dad joke. It's a dad joke and a pastor joke all at once. It's kind of hard to take all at the same time. And I only did it because I liked it. It was just, I, I, knew, I knew it was bad. I knew it was a bad joke. Think about this moment. And for, some, for those of you who have, who have spoken, you, you, you get this, right? Um, I've had to do this before where I, I uh, you know, at times, I'm preaching the sermon out loud. I don't do that really so much anymore. I often preach in my head now, probably because of this, because I'd be preaching out loud in like my living room in the early morning, and then my wife would come in, and it felt like I got caught doing something bad. I'm like, oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> Think about what God's asking Ezekiel to do. He's, he's asking him, in this valley, to a bunch of these bones, I want you to speak. And here's what I want you to speak. I want you to speak life to that which is dead. Mm, come on. Because here's the thing. When we see dry bones, when we see dead things, what we do is we declare them dead. 
I got to tell you, there would be many relationships saved if you just started speaking life instead of death into them. And you just started leaning into that. I wonder what the culture at your work would do if you began to speak life instead of death. Instead of comparing and being critical, you speak life instead of death. And God says, by the way, my dream for my people is that they're life speakers to that which is dead. That is my dream, that wherever you go, your words would just bring my life everywhere you go. Thank you. By the way, what this means, notice he said, hear the word of the Lord. This is important, friends, in our day and age. Speak God's word and God's truth, not your opinion or your feelings. Allow God's word to define reality for us. And then I just want you to notice, he goes on this I will statement. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Here's what he's saving, saying. Heaven must intervene in order to fix what's wrong with earth. See, Ezekiel's role wasn't to fix the dry bones. That's God's. See, we get really discouraged in our life because we try to play God's role and not our role. We try to be the Savior and the healer. There's only one Savior and one healer. There's only one that will bring dry bones back to life. And our role is to speak life to the dry bones and let God do the work. And so Ezekiel obeys. Ezekiel obeys the odd command of God. So I prophesied. As I was commanded, Ezekiel obeys this very odd command. I I mean, just think about how strange it was. Think about what, like, Ezekiel's thinking. This is a waste of time. We're not talking about corpses. I know we got kids. I'm sorry. We got too graphic. We're talking about bones. Speak to them. Come on. Seriously? Nothing will change. It's a waste of time. It's a lost cause. You ever had that thought? So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise. A rattling sound. That word rattle is is the word earthquake. A shaking. A rumbling. And the bones came together. Bone to bone, I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Ezekiel obeys the odd command of God here. You know, awakening story is twofold, actually. Um, We started out as a ministry 11 years ago around this time. I remember someone telling me 11 years ago, don't waste your time trying to reach this generation. Nothing ever happens in this valley among college students and young adults. It's a waste of energy and time invested elsewhere. And here's what I said. And whether it was a young, arrogant kid or not, here's what I said 11 years ago. I have a bigger God than that. 
six years ago, when we were launching this church, heard the exact same refrain. Listen, when you step out into the dreams of God, you will have other people that say it cannot be done. You'll have other people tell you, no, don't even try. It's a waste of time. Why go that? What in the world? You mean you would take a year of your life and go serve other people overseas? Your career is going to be shipwrecked. Are you kidding me? You would take your kids and go downtown and serve the homeless? Are you kidding me? You're going you're gonna to get them hurt. What's going on? You'll always have people who say it cannot be done. C.S. Lewis said this, obedience is the key that opens every door. Ezekiel obeyed the odd, the weird command of God. And sometimes God says some really odd things to us. Like you're sitting at your office and says, would you encourage that person? You're at your school place and you see someone in need. And why don't you go over and and help them out? You're, You're walking along and you see someone who could use a meal, and the Spirit of God tugs on you and says, why don't you give them a meal? But I'm in a hurry. I'm not. Obedience is the key that opens the door for the blessing of God in your life. Obedience is the key that opens the door for the power of God in your life. Obedience is the key that opens the door so you experience the flourishing that God has designed you for. And so many of us miss this because we're saying, my will, not thy will, be done. Verse 9. Then he said to me, prophesy. Uh, did, I, did I read the, did I finish? Where did I go? I didn't even finish that one. Yeah. Did I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breath into the slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and stood upon their feet, a vast army. I just want you to see two things. One, transformation is a process. It took a process. It was two parts. Ezekiel prophesied, and we saw bones and rattling, and all of a sudden tendons and flesh appeared, but there was still no life. And and many of us, we just want the instantaneous. We want the microwave, and we give up when it doesn't happen. Transformation is a process. There was two parts to this. In fact, Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Stop allowing your life to be molded and squeezed by the pattern of this world. Stop being pressured into something you were never designed to be. However, be transformed. That word is where we get the word for um, metamorphosis, the same word for a, a, uh, a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. It's, it's in the uh, passive imperative, that word transform, which means allow yourself to be transformed. It's not that you're doing the transformation. It's that you're putting yourself in a place to be transformed. But be transformed. Allow yourself to be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. The transformational work of God in your life is a process. And for some, you're like, well, I prayed and it didn't work. I had a quiet time once. 
and where you go, I'm going to get into God's word. I'm going to allow God's word to get into me. And what I know is as God's word gets into me and I renew my mind in his word, he will change me. He'll actually change my desires, friends. Like, like the desires and the things you're like, I wish I didn't want that. He actually wants to change that. And he wants to turn that. And he can do that in you. First, transformation is a process. I love what Andrew Murray said. Uh, he's a famous South African uh, missionary. He said, one of the mysteries of the divine life is, is the harmony between the gradual and the sudden, immediate full possession and slow, imperfect appropriation. First, transformation is a process. Verse 10, we see what, where Ezekiel saw dry bones, God saw an army. Where Ezekiel saw dry bones. Notice, so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood upon their feet, a vast army. Church, by the way, is intended to be an army of healers in a world desperately needing the tender love and grace of God. The, the church, man, we're supposed to be dispensers of hope, dispensers of life, those that are on a, a mission. See, for far too long, the church has been a refuge from the world instead of a sending place to the world. See, we don't go to church here. Our dream was never to create a large crowd in our seating capacity. And I love this seating capacity. It's great. But you know what's better? Our sending capacity. The men and women that go outside that door that say, we're an army of healers to a hurting and broken world. That's what we're about. So what's God's dream for your life? I got to say, God's dream for your life is that you you would embrace That his hand's on you, and he's placed you. That, that he wants to stir in you and do a mighty work. That God's dream is he, want, he wants to confront you with some assumptions and bring to life in you that's which is dead, and then have you bring to life in others by his grace and power. My Bible, as I've gone back to this passage written at the top of the notes. It's this little phrase. God is in the business of making dead things come to life. That's it. Like God's dream for your life is to move from existing to fully living. Move from a slumbered existence to an awakening. Move from wandering to meaning. God's dream for your life is that you would flourish. And in that flourishing, you would bring life to everyone around you. One of my favorite lines from this passage is in verse 7. Verse 7 where it says, So I prophesied as I was commanded, I did as I told. And it says, And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, there was a rattling, there was a rumbling... There was an earthquake. It reminds me of the earthquake that came when Jesus was resurrected from the grave. So I thought, 
So we close out our time. I just tell you some of the rattling of new life that God's doing around here. That, that we've just gotten to watch with our own eyes, that we've gotten to hear, that we get to experience and feel and hear. The earthquake that is moving through not only this church, but this city. So we began with a dream of raising up the next generation of world changers. We started with a bunch of college students, really. And we wanted to get after it because you know who's missing in the church? This generation. He said, we're going to be a church of multiple generations, but we're going to be focused about this generation, and we want to raise up the next generation of world changers. Uh, One of the ways that we've done this is we partnered uh, deeply with an organization called Crew. And we've done that for years. In fact, we support 11 Crew interns. Do we have some of the interns over here? Can you stand up? Those that are interns, go ahead and stand up. There's lots of them. Thank you, guys. There's lots of them serving right now, your kiddos. And we support two on-crew staff, full-time staffers. Where's Gabe and Jess? They're our local missionaries here. Gabe and Jess, I saw them somewhere, but I don't know where they're at. Our kingdom investment in crew, this, just this year, is $66,000. Why? Because they're on the college campus getting after those who are far from Jesus. Something that's really cool is a few years ago, we, we had no campus uh, uh, representation from Santa Clara University. And we had prayed and longed for Santa Clara to come about. And, and then God brought a few people from Santa Clara to our church one Sunday. And then the next Sunday, there's a few more together. And the next Sunday, there's a few more. Pretty soon, there's 20, there's 30 or so of them coming. Then they start a Bible study. Then they hear about this crew thing. And so last year, they started their own crew that we're supporting and going along with. How cool is that? (laughs) Something we've done in raising up the next generation of world changers, we do something called uh, the Protege Program. And every year, we just go, okay, how, how are we going to invest deeply in this next generation? And it's a nine-month leadership development process where they commit uh, about 15 hours of their time. They get invested in deeply, trained, and they invest in our church. And it's incredible to see just the life change over that and what they do here and go on uh, to do. Do we have, we have seven this year? Do we have those protégés? Anybody that are protégés here? I think they're all serving. We've got one right up front. But... Uh, just, just for kind of perspective's sake, when we started this church, we had 13 kids, and three of them were mine. <laughs> Today, our family ministry, we have over 90 volunteers. Our kids grew this last year by 40%. And one of the things I love that our, our, our family uh, pastor, Kirsten, says is there is no junior Holy Spirit. How good is that? How good is that? That'll preach. (laughs) Grew by 40%. Our youth has doubled in this last year. Our babies boom, crazy baby boom in the spring. It takes 44 liters just per month with our babies. And here's what's amazing. We see all that growth with our families, and we're still a church 60% single and 60% between the age of 18 and 30. Like God's growing all of it. 
Um, one of my favorite things is, uh, we got our youth over here. Where's our youth? Can you say hi to us? One of the cool stories is, is Roland um, and looking at Roland. You were here on our birthday, right? Our very first birthday as a college student going to San Jose State, got connected with crew, had his life changed by Jesus, came to awakening. As he was coming to awakening, began to be discipled and grown, got baptized here at awakening, started serving in our kids' ministry got involved with our protege program, got developed and trained, did that for two years. Now he's our youth director. We're paying for his seminary so that we can go on and lead his own church one day because he's that gifted. I hear the rattlings of new life. Hear the rattlings of new life. Let me tell you what God's doing in unleashing extravagant generosity to a hurting and broken world. We started off, by the way, day one, saying we are going to be a church. We believe that the church should unleash extravagant generosity to a hurting and broken world. Why? Because we have such an extravagantly generous God. And here's another area I got pushed back on. We committed at the very beginning to give at least 10% of our budget away every year. And the finance people said, Ryan, that's a bad idea. Not only are you starting with a bunch of college students, they don't make a whole lot or anything. They have a lot of student debt. Uh, But, you you know, startup world, you need all your funds. I said, no, this is what we're doing. Why? Because God called us and commanded us to. We didn't make this up. And if we're going to ask other people to tithe biblically, not only am I going to tithe biblically, but we as a church are going to tithe biblically. And by the way, I just have this confidence that we can't outgive God. Over the course of the last six years, we've given over $665,000 outside of our doors. And God's grace in that, from day one, we were financially uh, self-sustaining. Unbelievable. No other explanation but God. We, we've partnered uh, we, here at Del Mar. Meeting here is one of those great answer to prayers. We said this is more than a place to meet, but a people to love. Uh, and so we've partnered deeply with here. And, so, and one of the things we've done, we've done so many serve days to beautify this campus. We've spent thousands of dollars on this campus. We've spent thousands of dollars, by the way, on donuts. You're probably like, what? Really? Yeah. For six years, every single Friday, we drop off a bunch of donuts and coffee for the teachers just to say we love you in the name of Jesus. And the, um, the front lady just simply either types a memo or says, they're here. And teachers flock. <laughs> At the end of every semester, we throw the teachers a taco party. We cater a taco truck in the name of Jesus for them. At Christmas time, we spend thousands of dollars. You spend thousands of dollars to buy kids who otherwise would not have a Christmas. A Christmas. We've turned on lights, paid for mortgages, bought uh, tires. We, we've gotten just like simple stuff that was just saw someone that didn't even ask for it, but they had a cracked, really beat up phone. And the principal's like, you know, high school, it's kind of hard. I'm like, let's get him a new phone. There's this sweet girl that just. She was, that's, couldn't expect that. All she was asking for was for her family. See, God is getting to use us way beyond. And just recently, our church gave over 70 
backpacks to kids in need here, filled to the brim with resources and supplies. In Haiti, we've partnered with Haiti, and, and we've said, okay, there's a ministry there with Jean-Jean and Christy Montpremier that, that we go to, and we said, we, we want to do stuff overseas intentionally that align with our vision to awaken this generation. And, and so we, we did this where we just said, okay, we're going to invest deeply, and, and they have uh, seen a community transform. We've, we've built wells all over Haiti providing clean water. Uh, we've sponsored kids and university students to be able to go to school and have food. When the hurricane came, we brought uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars of relief over the course of the last six years to the country of Haiti. The rattling of new life. The rattling of new life is at awakening by God's grace, his, spout, his spirit moving. People are being transformed by the love of Jesus. We're going to celebrate baptisms in, in a minute. And the reason we do it on our birthday is nothing better visibly shows our vision in action. When someone gets up and says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was dead, but now I live. Jesus has changed me, and I'm standing before you to declare my love for him. I'm following him and going into the waters of baptism. I think about a young gal last year that got baptized. Her name is McKenna. So cool. And, and this is kind of the, the process when we talk about transformation being a process. McKenna's been going through, you know, the, like, wrestling with it, whether there's a God or not a God, not a follower of Jesus, happens to come to San Jose, rooms with a gal named Maddie Laney, who we, at our, you know, in our family, we love Maddie Laney. And there was one of her mom's friends that had been praying for her for years to come to know Jesus. Year after year, and she prayed specifically, okay, she moved to San Jose. Would you bring a godly friend into her life that would then lead her to Jesus and surround her with a community? She comes to San Jose, she meets Maddie Laney, and then comes into awakening, and she experienced Jesus. And her life's changed, and she gets baptized. And by the way, that friend, you know, that family friend, like, writes us and says, hey, we live in Arizona but we want to throw a party. We can't get there. Is there any way you could FaceTime? I'm like, hello, we have an incredible tech team here that does a live stream, so all you need to do is click on the link, and they held a party in celebration in Arizona as there was a baptism in California here. What's God's dream for your life? Jesus is not about resuscitating an old version of your life. And to be honest, that's been the stumbling block for many of you, is what you've been asking Jesus is somehow to make your old version just a little bit better, to make your life work the way you want it to work. And here's what Jesus is about. Jesus is not about resuscitating your old life. He's about resurrecting you to brand new life. Serious. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives through me. Where you say, okay, Jesus, I give you my life. 
You have control. You have your way. Would you bring new life in to me? One of the refrains or the themes of Ezekiel, it's found all throughout the book of Ezekiel, but we find it most poignantly in Ezekiel 36, verse 26. Ezekiel writes this, and this is the hope of the new covenant, the hope of when the Messiah would come, when he would uh, accomplish this. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Would you stand with me as we close? For some, you walked in this room dry. That dry bones, you're like, man, that is where I'm at. That's what I'm experiencing. And the invitation today is to turn to Jesus. The invitation is is right where you're at. Say, God, I'm dry. In fact, we're going to have our prayer team in the front and in the back. And you just need to go to them and just say, I'm dry. That's it. You don't need to explain it. God knows it. And they're going to pray the outpouring of his spirit in your life, and he would meet you in that dry spot, in that dry season. And others in this room... You didn't just walk in dry. You walked in dead. You've been searching for everything else but Jesus to put your hope in. And you've run into a dead end. You've been trying and you're just like, I got nothing. I'm existing. I'm numb. And I long for life. And Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And Christianity revolves around a singular event. It's not a sacred book. The event of the resurrection. Jesus defeated the grave that we might have life. And if all and anyone who calls upon him will be saved. I just want to invite you. Would you just pray with me? Maybe you're in that spot. You wouldn't mind. I just want to pray for those who... You walked in this room dry, and you just walked in dry? Can I pray for you? And you just raise your hand. Man, I walked in dry. And I'll just look. Yeah, I walked in dry. Thank you. I just walked in dry. I just need the outpouring of the Spirit. I'm not dead, but I'm dry. God, I pray for my friends. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for those that are just simply dry. They're discouraged. That you would meet them in this moment. That your spirit would fill them afresh. That you would give them your vision and your eyes. You'd cause their heart to beat with your heart. That they'd be able to see the circumstances in their life from the perspective, yeah, it's too big for me, but it's not too big for my God. It's not too big for you. Sovereign Lord, only you know, and I'm leaning in. And if you're here and you're, you walked in dead, 
Like, you want to start a relationship with Jesus. Like, today is the day of salvation. In fact, this isn't just Awakening's birthday, but this is your spiritual birthday. Today, you're going to step into life, and you're going to experience, like what he just talked about, a new heart. And he'll place his spirit in you. Would you just pray after me if that's where you're at? Heavenly Father, I've searched after everything and I've run to a dead end. Today, I believe you sent Jesus to bring life and life to the full. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for the payment of every wrong thing, every sin and broken thing in my life and in our world. And that you raised him from the dead, defeating sin, death, that we might have life. And so today, I give you my life. Would you give me a new life in return? And the promise of Scripture is in that moment. Spirit of God comes inside of you. You're awakened to new life. Let's sing, church.